Hey everybody, welcome back to Taps and Patience. This is the 25th episode. I am AJ with Design the Everything and here with Harrison from Precision Ingenuity. What's going on? Um, a lot of things. A lot of things? <laughs> yeah, it sounded like it. So care, to, I, care to elaborate? I think you should go first because I have a okay. lot of things to touch on and I don't want to monopolize the whole podcast. Oh, no worries. I, I do that plenty on my own, so it's okay for you to monopolize a little bit. Um, don't have a whole lot going on, just really busy, kind of in-between jobs. Um, it's amazing how the in-between time, how little you could get done when you have all these plans. Um, we did get another job, and we almost had our first rush job, and I was so excited. Um, so on Monday... We got an email from uh, one of our customers that we've done work for in the past. And they're like, hey, we have this rush order. We need it in two days. Can you get it done? So we started running around the shop, started grabbing all the material that we had. Then we started laying it out on a table based on the parts that they wanted. And when we got done, we had just enough, like literally like every size that they wanted to. Like we had room for zero mistakes on everything except for like one piece of material we had extra. And I was like, it's possible. I know where we can get extra material if we mess something up, but it should be done. So I got on the phone and I called them. I said, yep, I think we can do it. And uh, they're like, oh, we decided to do it in with our in-house machinist. Um, and I was like, seriously? I was like, no. Um, so didn't end up getting that one. Um, but they had a different job that they had sent us that we were uh, quoting. So I did get that job. Um, and what's nice is that we're kind of at the stage now where they just send me a PO um, and I just get started on it more or less. I do try to give them pricing and make sure that I can do everything because um, sometimes they send me a PO for parts and I'm like, I can't fit that on my machine. Um, yeah. So and what's really the killer on it is that most of the time I can fit it on the Tormach because uh, they're late. Most of it's uh, mill parts. Mm -hmm. Um but they would have drilled and tapped holes on the ends that are like on like 15 inch parts in length. And it's like, ah, like that's the only thing I can't do. So I need to find a way to drill and tap really tall parts. Accurately. Have you considered a drill press? I just got one. Yes. Fun of me for it. Yes, we, we have a drill press that we could do it on. The problem is I don't think we can do it accurately to the tolerances. I don't think I can hit plus or minus. Um, five thou on my location in a drill press. If That's... you have, if you have a drilling jig with a um a drill bushing in it, I think you could. I don't know. I'm too nervous to do it on customers' parts. I do it on my own stuff, um, but I don't know if I if I trust it to a customer's stuff. Um, fair. Not 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 of something of that height um, and that accuracy, that plus or minus 5 thou call out. Because um, I, I did t consider doing it on the drill press. I have considered doing that. And if I could find a way to spot mark it um, on the mill somehow, I well, would. I thought about that, maybe. Um, I'd be more comfortable doing that. Um to kind of mark where I need to be that way. I'm, I'm not relying on my alignment and 
measuring with like calipers and a tape measure trying to hit plus or minus five thou. No, make a jig. Make it specifically for that one hole. And put a, get a real hardened um, drill bushing. Yeah, I guess I could mill out your jig. At that point, I could do it. I mean, if I made a jig at that point, I could just do it with a, uh, a a hand drill. I don't really need a, I don't even need a, that's a thought. I hadn't thought about that. The um, drill press gets you a little bit more control. But. Yeah, a little bit. Um, hmm, I'll have to think about that. I would so definitely have a way that. of clamping the work to the table. Yeah, so that, that, that I don't have right now. I don't have a very good way of clamping it in my drill press, but maybe that's something I need to come up with, and maybe there's something I can do there. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. At, at my last job, we did drilling jigs all the time. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And granted, we weren't doing super precision stuff, but yeah. with if you have a, a metal drilling jig with a good hardened bushing in there that's sized for your drill bit, um, you can get within a couple thou. I'll have to think about that. I might be able to do that then. So um, anyways, we had that um, started working on some more coins out of 303 um, instead of 304, and it's not as shiny. Oh, really? So, no, no. And I was talking to uh, another local machine shop trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm running at over twice the feed rate or over twice the uh, surface footage of mm-hmm. 304. Um, but um, it's just it just does a dollar finish, um, specifically on the facing. Um, when you're actually turning the very uh, edge of the coin, that actually comes out pretty close to the same. Um, and I went and I toured their shop and I looked at a handful of 303 parts that they had. And they all, all the facing on all of them kind of looked a lot duller than the turning along the main part. And we we believe it has to do with the lower chromium content in 303 versus 304. Uh, yeah. And so I'm thinking about maybe switching over to pH 17, trying that um, because it has a higher, it has a higher chromium content than even 304, but it's easier to machine than 304. Mm -hmm. So that might be the ticket. Yeah. Is it, do you think with your 303, it could be an insert thing? Like maybe, are you using, I tried a handful of different inserts that I had on hand. So are you um, using negative rake or positive rake or neutral rake? Or? Uh, I don't remember on that. I was changing my radiuses and I was changing how sharp they were. So I tried mm-hmm. the stainless one. I tried one that was a stainless steel hybrid. And I even tried an aluminum insert that had a really sharp edge to see if that kept it from rubbing or kind of giving. And the best one I ended up getting was the steel stainless steel hybrid with a uh, eight thou radius. Okay. Um, I don't remember what my rake angle was on that one, but um, that ended up giving me the best. And I'm pretty close now. It's not quite as good, um, but I think what we're going to try is um, we just got a tumbler similar mm-hmm. to the same style you have. And so I think we're going to try doing a bunch of coins and then sticking them in there and polishing them okay. and see if that because they polish up to be just about the same brightness. Um, so I'm 
we might end up doing that. And I'm almost tempted to do that anyways, because that would make them all look even. Um, yes. So, um, and get rid of any inconsistencies. Because we've been just taking them straight off the lathe, mm-hmm. which is ideal. But it also means that if your insert wears at all, um, you start scrapping parts. So, that gives, well, me a little even... bit, that gives me a bigger window of acceptable parts. And so. even on your current coins, which look great, there is some noticeable, like, um, I would call them surface speed marks, where as yeah. you are, as the Getting surface spe- the speed is coming slower and slower as you get towards the center, the finish changes. Yep. And I think I can see some of them where your insert is getting dull because yep. there's more of a uh, um, mm-hmm. a nipple, <laughs> lack of a better yep. word. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that you have to watch it very carefully. Um, and like we were getting only 20 to 30 parts in 304 before we'd have to rotate mm. inserts. So they weren't lasting very long. Um, and it just wasn't ideal. So we switched to the 303. It, we're getting a better, a more uniform surface finish, but it's not as shiny. So I want to fix that. And I'm refinishing everything anyway. So it yeah. doesn't really matter for me. For your application, it, it doesn't matter as much. Um, but for like, if we're doing just the black mark with the laser, it matters greatly. Save me your blems, actually, for that in that case. Okay. I can do that because I mean I'm like my finishing process on these is is ridiculous and like there's nothing do more of coins? the original finish. Yes, that is the plan. Okay. Not of the same pattern, obviously, but yeah. But you, they've been pretty successful, and you're pretty happy with them. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, I saw the uh, the post you had on your uh, Patreon page for those those four coins. Those look really cool. Like I, I kind of like those. It's like some aspects of those better than your other ones. I don't disagree. Um, for context here, I have. Uh, well, I was gonna say I've scrapped some coins along the process of making them. Uh, that's not really true. I have set aside some coins for rework, <laughs> and I just finished the rework on some of those the other day, honestly, because I was using them to test uh, my finishing process. And they look really good. And for three of the four coins that I finished, they failed because an end mill broke in them. Or or actually, I think in most of the cases, two end mills broke. Um, And so I was afraid there was like some carbide or or some work hardened stainless in there. So I I took them out. And so they're like, they have half of the pattern done. Mm. Um, And the, the way that, fusion follows the pattern it's kind of semi-random so like it kind of fades from pattern to no pattern um and some of them i finished with the traditional method some of them i just did the heat blue and i did not uh, polish off the top so they have this kind of cool i don't even know what you call it it's almost like a heat anodized effect though i don't know if that's the name for it on stainless so um, i i actually want to pick your brain on that because um, I was actually playing around with heat anodizing coins right before this. Oh, really? Yeah. So okay. I saw how they turned out, and I was like, "That looks so good." Um, I don't know if you're doing it. Are you just doing it with a propane torch right now, or <laughs> how are you doing it? So that is a whole story. Um, I believe, yeah, of the four that I showed, those were 
all with the propane torch. Okay. I now have a honest to goodness forge, like a blacksmith forge. And that's how I mm. did the, uh, or am doing the production run of the coins. Okay. So the university I teach at has a hotshot um, electric mm-hmm. um, forge thing. I tried to do one in there um, right before mm. this. And it's really nice because you can get your temperatures dialed in exactly. Yeah, but it's too consistent. Um, maybe, but um, the 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 ceramic media that it uses for containing the heat, um, I can't have the coin sitting on that because it makes the finish on that side that's touching that ceramic media look like crap. Interesting. Um, and so I need to have like a piece of aluminum or another piece of stainless or something else that I can set the coins on and probably stand them up on end. Mm-hmm. Um, cause what I'm looking for is I really like how you had those temperature zones on yours, but I want to see if I can get like a solid blue coin that has a uniform finish all the way across it. And I yeah. just want to see if I can re- make it repeatable. And that way I can like maybe tune it to different colors. And then I want to see if I can laser engrave onto it. Mm. It's like I can have a blue coin with a black mark and have it still be stainless. So the, or the way like the, that. The way that like the watchmakers blew their screws, or at least used to, I don't know if this is still modern practice, but they used to do it in a bed of like brass or copper chips. Mm-hmm. Um, and really probably just about anything that's not aluminum, anything that has some thermal mass to it would probably work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you watched ClickSpring? Yes. Yeah. That's what I think of whenever I think of bluing. And like, I haven't thought about it in a long time. Um that's actually a good point. The brass, I might have to play around with that, but like seeing your videos inspired me to play around with, uh, heating up and blueing some stuff. Yeah. It's a, so. it's a cool finish. It is. So I really like it. So anyways, you're, you're telling me about your forge a little bit. Um, yeah. So I, I bought a forge. It was mm-hmm. a kit off of Amazon. The kit was like 80 bucks and it was actually, a really well designed and put together kit. Mm-hmm. Um, like just their instructions were really well done. Like their, uh, all their instructions were laminated, which was really nice because I definitely like would have destroyed them if they weren't laminated in the process mm-hmm. of putting together the kit. Um, they had like a, um, a parts list where you can order replacement parts for everything. Like it's not just your normal, like I expected, you know, a cheap Chinese import kit where, you know, here's a box of parts. Good luck. Figure it out. But mm-hmm. this was really well done. The only problem with it is it took literally like four days to put together because oh, you really? would like do a step and then you'd have to wait for it to cure for a day. And then you do another step and then have to like wait for it to cure for a day. So it's mm-hmm. only like an hour and a half worth of actual time. But there was a lot of um, waiting in between steps. Gotcha. Cool. So, um, I think that's all I pretty much got for right now. So let's, let's kind of dive into, to some of your stuff. Cause I, I want to know what's been going on. Cause I've heard bits and pieces, but I don't know the whole picture yet. So this has been a busy, at this point, it's almost been two weeks since we've talked cause we're recording late. Um, so, you know, last week I was machining and things were going along well. Uh, my, once I got the process dialed in, my end mills were lasting like 20 sides of a coin, 
So like 10 coins, maybe 24 sides. And then it became 12 sides. And then it became six sides. And then it became one side. And then it became not even lasting a whole coin. And I burned through a lot of end mills and I could not figure out what was happening. I checked run out in the tools. I checked my tool holders. I checked my work holding. I checked my work hoarding systems. I checked everything. And throughout this whole machining process, I had started hearing like kind of a clicky noise from my machine. Mm-hmm. And I was going, that's strange. In when it first started happening, I could only hear it with my headphones on, um, which sounds strange, but it's actually something I've noticed a couple times because they are sound canceling. They have a tendency to cancel out like hums, but you can sometimes hear other sounds that are more intermittent, like a click from your machine. And so originally I could only hear them with my headphones on. And I was like, that's strange. And then it slowly started getting louder. And I was like, that's strange. And then as I was um, checking the run out of the tool, trying to figure out what was going on, I turned my machine on to 250 RPM, which is the slowest it can go. And it just sounded like someone took their hand and stuck into a bag of marbles and like swished their hand around. Oh, no. And that's why I went... Oh no. And like as I I kind of played with my the machine some more and you know rot- started rotating things by hand and checking run out and and play in the spindle and I never really had any noticeable play or run out but the if the, the spindle felt crunchy and it sounded like gravel and or marbles I should say and it was like oh no my spindle's gone. So, question for you. Did you ever touch your spindle during any of this and feel if it got hot? No. No, I did not. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if it gets hot or not. I assume so. Yeah. Uh, if if you ever are running high RPMs for long periods, um, like whenever I did mine graving at 10,000, and I mm-hmm. it started I started hearing a little bit of noise out of mine that was more than normal. I touched it and I about burned myself. Oh really? It got, it got that I'll hot. To, I'll have to pay attention to that. Um. So anyway, I talked to some friends and surmised that my spindle was toast. Um. So I I ordered one from Tormach as soon as I got the okay from you know some of my friends who know more about this stuff than I do, and had it overnighted. Uh. Next day. I get a, a notification. Hey, your package has been delivered. And I walked outside, got a package. It was an envelope about yay big. And inside it was a belt. And Because I ordered a, a pulley belt while I was at it. it was, you know, if I'm replacing the spindle, might as well replace the belt. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I ordered the spindle in the same order as this belt. Where's my spindle? And so I, I went back inside and checked the... Um, checked the tracking number and was like, okay, it is a separate package. It hasn't been delivered yet. Maybe it's coming LTL or something. Okay, fine. Waited a couple hours. Delivery notification. Go out to my front porch. Front porch. Nothing there. No spindle. Uh, UPS says it's delivered. No spindle. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? About 30 seconds after that, I get a text from the new owner of my old house. And they go, is this box yours? And there was a box from Tormach on their front porch. And 
it was like, oh, well, that's that's not what I wanted. <laughs> that's not where that was supposed to go. Were they on the same order? They were on the same order with the same shipping address. Um, huh. I'll, I'll, more on this later. Okay. So I am like, well, I guess I'm going to go pick up my spindle. So I got in my poor old truck and just about doubled the amount of miles I put on it. It drove um, about an hour and a half, hour 15 to my um, old house. Picked up the spindle, put it in my truck, drove straight back. So that was like three hours from my day gone right there. I checked the packing slip on the spindle. The packing slip has the correct address. However, the shipping label was wrong. Which was okay. very frustrating. And I've been meaning to call Tormach and at least get them to like refund, refund my next day shipping. Because um, I paid like 200 bucks to get that thing right away. And the- then they shipped it to the wrong address. Do you still have the package that has the wrong shipping label on it and the packing slip? I should. I know I have the. I know I have the the crate. I assume I have the packing slip. At very least, I have pictures of it. Okay, I was um, gonna say. Hopefully, you at least have pictures of everything. But I would. I would have taken photos of the packing slip next to the label and going. Uh, WTF? What's what's going on? Here? I, I took that picture. Yes, I haven't sent <laughs> okay. Tormach an email about it, but I, I I did take that picture. So. <laughs> I drive back home and it's like, I don't know, four o'clock or something at this point, five o'clock. And I start. Oh, and before I had left, like as I was waiting for the spindle to come and I took out my old spindle that went pretty mm-hmm. easily. Um, there's like one nut that's really hard to take off. It's the one that holds the um, the pulley in place. But eventually I got that out and got the spindle out. It was really actually not that bad. Now that I know how to do it, I could probably get the spindle out in half an hour or less. Oh, okay. And so I, you know, get the new spindle home and um get start getting ready to install and it comes pre-assembled. It has everything. It has the drawbar assembly, it has the pulleys, all of that. Uh which is both good and bad because then you have to take it apart before you can put it back in. And I ran into the same issue with the same nut as I was trying to get it apart to install it. And it's the, there's a, it's like a, a castle style, style nut where you have to mm-hmm. use one of the, um, the like spanners spanner to take it off. Yeah. And the problem is you, I mean, the spanner works just fine. Um, but you need to like counter the rotation somehow. And, in the when I was taking it out of the mill after playing around with it for 20 minutes, what I realized the best way to do it was just to take a piece of wood, put the wood on my table, and just ram the spindle into it and like let the the spindle dig into the wood, and then you can just you know pull that nut right off. Um but when I have the spindle just like in my hand, like there is no there's no way to keep it from turning. There's no way to counter that. And there's like a lot of torque on that 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 castle nut. They don't have any flats or anything you can grab onto to counter it? The only thing there is is the um, drive dogs. Hmm. Um, on the like the end of the spindle, like where the mm-hmm. tool sits. And so I, I tried for like an hour to get that thing off. And um, eventually I went and there's a, a YouTube video that I'm sure you've seen by, I think the channel name is VC Edge. And yeah. he had a bunch of spindle problems. And so I had been kind of watching his videos throughout the whole process to like see how he did things. 
And he, when he was taking his spindle apart, when it was outside of the machine, he stuck it in a big vice. It's like, well, I don't have a, I don't have a vice. Um, so I went to Harbor Freight and I bought a vice. It was like, well, if it works for him, I just need something that I know works. So I, you know, drove half an hour to Harbor Freight, spent half an hour at Harbor Freight, drove half an hour back. And at this point it's like eight o'clock at night or something. Um, so I, I screwed that vice down to my table and got the thing apart in two minutes, like maybe yeah. two minutes. It, it was, once I had the right tools, it was super easy. Yeah. And so then, you know, it was just a matter of sticking the spindle back in the machine. And that took maybe 15 minutes. Like it, um, I had to play a little bit with alignment, but basically you, you stick the table or the, you stick the spindle vertical on the table underneath the, uh, the head of the machine. Mm-hmm. And you just like jog your machine down in Z and it just kind of swoops right in. Um, and then screws, and you just put everything back together. At this point, I'd already learned the lesson to just, you know, jog the machine into a piece of wood to keep the spindle from turning. When I tightened back up that castle nut, no problem. Went right back together. Um, and I think I probably went to bed with it being together. I probably turned it on to like 500 RPM just to make sure that everything seemed fine. Went to bed, woke up. And the next day, um, I was talking to the guy from, I think his name is Greg from Kowalski precision. I'm sorry if it's not your name, Greg or not Greg. Uh, but the guy from Kowalski precision, he makes the end stops or the, mm-hmm. uh, not end stops. What are those called? Uh, um, work stops. Yeah. He makes the Saunders machine works compatible work stop that I, I really like. I use those all the time. And he was like, Hey, I have a, um, a warm up program. Do you want that for your, like a spindle warm up program for a Tormach? And do you want that? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and so I used that and I started breaking in my new spindle. Tormach doesn't actually have a um, spindle break in procedure. So I just like started at 250 RPM. I ran that for five minutes and I went to 500 RPM, ran that for five minutes, 1000 RPM for five minutes. And I just stepped up to uh, the 10K RPM. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. At, I think it was 2,000 RPM. The spindle starts clicking. No. Click, 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 No. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. What is happening? And I, like, went over and I turned. And I, I stopped it. And I, like, put my hand on and turned it by hand. And it's like, it feels fine. It's not crunchy. I turned it on 250 RPM. It's like, okay, this is also feels fine, or it sounds fine at 250 RPM, 1,000 RPM, fine, 2,000 RPM, click, 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 click. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I opened up the head of the machine and used a clamp to bypass the safety and turned it on. And there was a tag on the spindle, like a, it was like a calibration tag. <laughs> and the calibration tag was halfway off and whapping one of the bars as it went around. <laughs> <laughs> kind of oh, like man. how you used to stick cards in the spoke of your yeah. bike so it go to, yeah yeah my machine was doing that and so i stopped it i took that off and the spindle was dead silent after that it's like oh this is really nice so <laughs> i i got a funny story i got to interject in real quick <laughs> i had something similar to that happen with my machine although a little more detrimental but it didn't end up hurting anything we had ours for about a month and I turned on the spindle one day and all of a sudden it started crunching like really bad. It sounded like the spindle was about to blow up. And I was like, 
what is going on? I opened up and look underneath, and one of the screws that goes into that holds oh, no. the that holds the um that magnet sensor that, that for for the um mm-hmm. the spindle orientation sensor the spindle encoder yeah yeah encoder uh it had a screw that had backed out and was rubbing against the oh, spindle gosh. um mm. and it actually it it had worn it had been out far enough and worn I was going fast enough when it started that it had actually worn down the head a little bit. Um, but it, it sounded like that thing was going to explode. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, so I, I screwed that in as tight as I could and it hasn't happened since. And I think he even called Tormach and said, Hey, if you got some Loctite, throw it on these things. Cause yes. <laughs> <laughs> this scared, this scared me so bad. <laughs> so have you, you haven't had any issues with your like tool changer or anything after that. Have you? Uh, that was before I had a tool changer. I was still manually changing okay. tools at that time. Um, no. Um, I haven't had anything, although my spindle is making noise, um, but it's not to the crunching marbles stage yeah. yet. Yeah. Cause when I was talking to my friend who works in the service department at Tormach about this, he was like, whatever you do, do not move the encoder. Uh, I'm not sure why that's a thing. I don't know if that, like, I assume it has to be very precisely spaced away from the encoder ring, but I don't know. I've just, I was very careful not to touch the encoder. Yeah, I haven't I haven't moved it. All I had to do was tighten in a screw that it backed out. Okay. Um, yeah. So that didn't that wasn't an issue. Um and I assume if you moved it though and you had your uh you could just go through the process that you the the install process of like twisting the head back and forth and and uh like get it all realigned that way. I think it's a um like a spacing thing. Like you have to have a right oh. gap. Oh, that could be. That could be. Um, not not it's, side to side, but front front to back. Yes, that's. Okay. This is just guessing. Like he just told me to be careful not to move it, and I went, "Yes, sir, I will not move that." And yeah, I didn't move sense. it, and it was fine. That makes sense. Um. Anyways, uh, continue your story. I where interrupted. Were we? So okay, uh, two thousand RPM. Click 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 click. <laughs> yeah. So after that, finished up my my break in cycle. It was fine. No problems. Uh, the spindle is much quieter than it's been since the machine was new, which I guess isn't surprising. Um, and since then, I, except today where I forgot, I've been running that warm-up cycle before I, I use the machine every time. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that'll make a difference in my spindle life this next time around, but... I I did those, the um, Kickstarter almost a year ago whenever my thing started doing it, and I've been doing a warm-up routine uh, every time I use it. And it's about a ten minute warm up routine, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't I haven't had any more deterioration since then. Yeah. So I I did check just out of curiosity, and between the the cold state and after the warm up routine, my tools grow by two tenths, mm-hmm. which I just thought was interesting. I don't I, it doesn't mean anything, but this yeah a fun little tidbit I, I ha- to know. I have noticed that on really cold mornings, um, whenever I run up a tool and do that warm up routine. The first time I do a cycle change, it pops that tool really hard. Like it grows mm. cuz the spindle warms up and the tool's still cold and then yeah. as that heat transfers the like so the spindle warms up around it and it allows it to suck in further and then that tool warms up and it basically just clamps on with incredible force and then when you go mm. to pop it out it's like bang. <laughs> and so I ha- I have noticed some of my tools kind of grab sometimes a little bit more. I never, mm-hmm. 
I've never connected those dots though, but that's probably what it's doing. Yeah, if you have a cold tool going into a hot spindle and then the tool warms up, it yeah. because that that spindle can seat further in, it expands out and locks onto the side of the Now you can you can fix that a little bit. So one thing that I do uh, about once every 3 months or so is I stick a little grease on the pull stud. Mm. And then okay. um that helps some and then um I don't know if it's recommended or not. Uh, but I'll try to clean. I mean, I know it's recommended to clean your surfaces and make sure no chips get up in there. But I have taken just a little bit of like like a I'll put just a little bit on my finger and kind of swirl it around the inside of the mm. spindle nose. And then I'll take a rag and I'll wipe it down. And so you have a very, very, very thin layer of grease on that interface. And then if it does grow and expand and grab a little bit because you have the dogs, um, mm-hmm. that's my theory. It allows it to pop in and out easier. Because it, okay, it doesn't it doesn't know. have that direct metal to metal grip. You have just a thin layer, um, and that tends to help, especially with the tool changer. Because um, I have noticed that if I like if it gets really bad, it, I've actually have had it once not release the tool fully and yes. like pull up out of the tool changer. And so that's when I started uh, greasing the the pull stud and every once in a while wiping down the the surface with a little bit of grease and then wiping it off to where it's not covered in grease so have you ever lubed up your uh, belleville washers i have not i've not done that that is so when they come from tormach they are not greased at all or or lubed i mean they're covered in the oil stuff they use to prevent rust um but on the machines that tormach doesn't send you assembled they recommend that you use anti-seize on them and it helps with um the drawbar force Okay. And so when I put this one back together, I, I did that. I have no problem with drawbar force. I almost feel like sometimes I have too much drawbar force because it pulls it in so tight. Um, now, it, and the, it will and, also and I, help with releasing, though. Because basically oh, it just really? makes that whole mechanism smoother. Oh, okay. I, I did when I got my machine. Uh, it wouldn't tool change when I first got it, hmm. uh, even, even manually. Um, it wouldn't fully release the tools. And so I, I ended up, one of my first things that I ended up machining was, well, you, you have that hex or you have that nut that you can uh, screw out on the uh, air cylinder on the top. Yep. I had to, I had to loosen it down over a half inch in thickness. Hmm. It was that far away. Uh, and so it made it so loose that like I was running it one time and that vibration, that screw, because I had it out so far, like fell down and like hit the top of the pull stud while it was spinning. And that was (laughs) also makes a fun noise. That was also a very scary (laughs) experience. And so one of my very first functional projects was actually, I machined a aluminum spacer Hmm. to go in there. I measured the thickness and then I machined it out and then I tightened that screw up up against that spacer. uh, And I've been using it ever since, but it's, it's about a half inch thick. Did, Did yours not come with a jam nut? No, did not. Oh, mine has a jam nut on it. Mine did not. Mine had nothing. Mine just had the, mine just had the screw, the bolt. And it was, yeah, it just had the bolt, and it was bottomed out all the way in. There was no washers, no nothing in between, and I had a massive gap. Like, like when I first did it, it wouldn't cycle. It yeah, wouldn't... you set that gap. Um, yeah, you have to but set I... that gap, and it's probably about the same on mine. But I, mine came with a jam nut. Yeah, I don't have anything, so I just made, I just machined an aluminum spacer. That works. Uh, um, 
that was the right thickness um, and then just tighten the screw against that. Huh. I w- is your machine older than mine? It is yeah. a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay. I got I got mine in um, November of 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like a year or two older than mine. Um, yeah. They, they must have just learned that lesson after yours was it, made. It, it <laughs> hadn't been out super long, I don't think. In the in the form that it was, because I was I think when I first started looking at Tormox, they didn't have the eleven hundred. It was MX. It was coming soon. Mm. It was on their website, but it was coming soon. Um, okay. And then I think I think we got one of the earlier versions. I don't know when it actually released. That'd be an interesting thing to see. But um, I do remember when I started looking into the machines, it was coming soon, and I don't remember how soon after that. Um, it I came, getting, yeah. It came. You know, it might have been a year. It might have been two, but I do remember looking close to the time that I got it uh, and seeing that it was not released yet. Yeah. Um, okay, but taking a step back into the main storyline here. Um, so after I got the new spindle in and, and things were working, uh, before I'd actually cut any new coins on it, I since I was already neck deep in the machine. I was like, okay, let's go ahead and adjust the Gibbs and backlash and and all that stuff. And I mean, it, it, it took me probably three or four hours longer than I would have liked to. Um, but I got that stuff all dialed in. I had originally kind of over tightened everything and then I had to slowly go back and loosen it again. Um, but I don't know, it's just what happens when a gorilla does maintenance, I guess you just kind of this will be yeah. better when it's tighter, but then you realize it's not better when it's tighter. Um, but man, my machine cuts so much better now. It sounds better. The by far the loudest thing on the machine is the coolant pump. Um, mm-hmm. It it has just been a world of difference from what it was. Um, I once I got back to my original speeds and feeds, I did try to play with them a little bit, but once I got back to my original speeds and feeds, um, you know, before I was getting a tool life of, like I said, like 24 sides of a coin and the tool that's in there now just ran like 50 or something. I I don't even know how many it ran, but it, it may have even ran a hundred sides of a coin. So 50 coins, whereas before they were running like 25. Um, yeah. So my spindle was on its way out and it's been going for a while and um, it's like having a, a brand new machine again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes me wonder uh, how big a difference it would make. Cause I've been limping it along. I say limping it along. Like mine has never, hasn't had the big drop off that yours has. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know the exact point in time when it got really loud compared to sounding like whisper quiet. And it hasn't gotten any louder since, um, but I've been running it in a less than optimal state for six months to a year at this point. Yeah. And I don't know. I wouldn't replace your spindle just to replace your spindle. Like I would probably wait. Well, no, but if it's increasing tool life and um, I do feel like I do feel like I have less horsepower than Mm. I used to. Like I, I, I have settings that I had before the noise got to the way it is. And I can't run the tools quite as hard. Like the spindle motor bogs down more than it used to doing Which the exact same cuts. Would kind of make sense if a bearing was going. Yeah. 
And actually, so. that would add a lot of heat, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Might so. be time. At least you can do it might... on your schedule. You don't have to overnight <laughs> it and all that stuff. Yeah. It's been something that I've been just... I, I It hasn't been a major issue um, yet. But I know that it's definitely going... I'm definitely starting down that hill. <laughs> yep. So, and I would, what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to have a lot of work lined up for the lathe where I can, where I don't have to lean on the mill for a while. And I'd like to do my own bearing replacement, um, mm-hmm. similar to VC edge. Um, yeah. cause based on some of his work, for those of you who haven't watched it, um, he puts in a lot higher quality bearings than what Tormach has from factory. Um, and he greases them really good. Um, which I would like to do as well. And I would like to see if that makes a big difference. Also, there's the uh, another issue that he points out is, um, y- y- I'm assuming you've opened up the top and looked into all the, all the oh, grease. I've been and every- arms deep in that, yeah. Yeah. So he also put a uh, like a nylon spacer or something in there to... Uh, maybe you can answer this because I haven't had my spindle out. Do you feel like any oil or stuff actually gets into the top of the spindle and goes through it and cleans out that grease? Cause that's a theory I've had as well. Looking into it now, I could see oil getting in there. I don't think you would get chips in there. Um, cause it's a fairly tight seam. I, I don't know. I'd have to take apart the spindle to see if there is a way for stuff to get in. But cause my, my biggest fear is that if oil is getting in there, um, cause you want to have grease, you either want to have constant oil to mm-hmm. your bearings or you want to have grease with nothing else getting to it because the yes. grease will stay put, but the oil will drip through. And if it's not getting a constant supply of oil, then I'm thinking that if the oil and the grease mix, um, that it's washing out the grease and then there's not enough oil to keep it from degrading. Yeah. That's my theory, at least on the, like on, uh, people that have the automatic, um, oiler and how that how much oil actually gets down into the spindle because I've I've opened mine up and it looks like a pool of oil in that thing. So, is it oil or is it evaporated coolant? A little bit of both, but I think it's mostly oil because hmm. I think the oil it's coming from the Z axis, the Z because it 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 oils on top. The mm, automatic oiler okay. oils on top of the Z axis. Um, and I think on the ways, like, I don't, cause like I've done some investigating on it and I, I think that that's where it's coming from is that the Z axis, when the automatic oiler goes off, which I have set mindset to go once every two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. I don't know. How often do you have yours go? Uh, four, I don't have the automatic that? oiler yet. Oh, you don't? No, actually, let me rephrase that. I have purchased an automatic oiler. Um, it is not the Tormach one. It is a like Chinese one that looks exactly the same and theoretically should work exactly the same. Uh, but I have not installed it yet because it's not a drop-in part. I don't know. It, it probably would be fine. I just haven't taken the time to figure it out yet. Okay. Uh, so so maybe, I'm using the manual pump. That might be my problem is that is that I have it set to too frequently and that I'm getting way too much oil, which might be why mine is, has so much oil in it. That being um, said, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't filled it up that the amount of oil that I put in there, I've only filled it up once and I've had it for about two years now. 
or a little over two years now or three years. I got it in November of 2020. So I don't know. What is that? Three years? Close to it? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It'll, it'll be three years in November of this year. So it's two, yeah. it's two and some change. Yeah. I don't know. I know I'm paranoid about under oil in mine, so I pull that handle all the time. Basically whenever I think about it. Yeah, I I have mine. It, it goes every two, two and a half hours, something like that. Which might be too much. Um in, I don't know. But I have a lot of oil up there and possibly coolant. I do too. I always just thought it was dried coolant or evaporated coolant. But No, I, I know it's oil. I know there's oil up in there. Okay. Not just coolant. Um, because and the reason I do know that is because um, if it was just the coolant, um, it would be similar to what's on top of the tool changer, because that is just evaporated coolant on top of the tool changer. That's a valid point. So, and there's much less on top of the tool changer than there is inside of that. Yeah. Well, I I don't I clean on top of my tool changer, so it wouldn't have I, as much time to build up. I don't I, do it all. Yeah, I do it whenever I change out materials, but honestly, all I do is blow off with an air compressor hose. I, I haven't honestly wiped it down. <laughs> I, I'm i not saying that I wipe it down every day, but when I look at it and I go, ew, then I then I wipe it down. And I yeah. have the, um, the coolant hose, and every mm-hmm. now and then I just hose down my machine. Yeah, I, I hose down my machine a lot. Um, I, I don't deep clean it as much as I probably should, but yeah. anyways. Um, so what else, what else? So, um, got it, uh, trammed in running better than it has in a long time. Yep. Cranking out coins. Um, we already talked about the forge, which was the other thing I was going to say. Um, and basically the, the, the happy ending is all the, as of like a couple hours ago, all of the coins are machined. All of them are sandblasted. Um, about half of them or a third of them are in the tumbler right now. And the other half have been uh, heat blued. So tomorrow I'll take the ones that are in the tumbler out of the tumbler and heat blue them. Uh, it took me maybe an hour to, to heat blue the first 50 with the, the forge once I got the forge up and running. So it'll be like another hour tomorrow. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like grilling. Like you're just sitting there kind of put a coin in, wait a couple minutes, take the coin out, dip it in some oil, put a new coin in. Like it's, it was actually very pleasant to just kind of sit there and grill my coins. Um, I, I had a part I was making today on the lathe at the very end of the day. And it was such an easy part. I was like, why can't I just run stuff like this all the time? Like yeah. <laughs> the slick is rewarding. I feel good. Like it's just running smooth. I'm not fighting anything. Like, oh, it's just nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great when things just work. <laughs> so. Oh, I do have one problem though. So, um, you know, forges burn lots of propane. Um, not something you super want to do in a unventilated space. Mm-hmm. And my shop is not, like, there's no ventilation on it except now the new powder coat booth. Um, and so I've been opening the, uh, the garage door and just kind of rolling the forge right up against the, um, the edge of where the garage door opens. So it is still inside, but like just barely, 
Well, it's supposed to thunderstorm all day tomorrow. Um, it's, it's raining here right now, actually. That might be the storm we're getting. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. It just came out of nowhere uh, about 3 o'clock this afternoon, I think, 2 or 3 o'clock this afternoon. And it's been rolling ever since. Um, but my my goal is to ship these on Saturday. Um, my my buddy Scott is coming over to help me ship them to make sure that I, I do get them out on time, which means that they um, pretty much need to be finished tomorrow if we're not, not going to waste his time on, on Saturday. And if it's storming, I may not be able to get those heat blued. So could you could you not go in the powder coat booth and turn on the fan? Uh no, that room is so small. Um I Well, could yeah. you could you move the flaps of the doorway out of the way and just do it right in front of the door? I could. That that thing makes a lot of heat. Like you know, hey, build a, a bonfire in your, your powder coat booth and yeah, sure it's in a neat yeah, little metal maybe, cage, maybe but not... like it's still making a lot of uh it's not making smoke, but it's making a lot of heat and the that's the fair. oil quenching does make some some smoke. Yeah, I guess that's um, that powder coat room is not big. Like, I don't know if the video does a good job of conveying it. I mean, it's um, maybe slightly larger than a normal non walk in closet. It's smaller than a normal walk in closet. Hmm. So it's not a big room, even yeah. just because there is a. Um, window in there like on a regular day that room gets pretty warm and in the summer it'll actually probably be like almost miserable to powder coat in there <laughs> um because it's a nice little greenhouse yeah that that yeah. room gets yeah no that that would be miserable to <laughs> use the forge in there <laughs> yeah. that's fair <sighs> um excuse me and then just because i could i took a um a scrap coin and heated it up really hot and took it over to my uh, brand new vice, which has a little flat section on the back and hammered it flat. That was kind of oh. satisfying. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> um, so, okay. So that's basically everything that's been going on for the last week or two. Uh, looking forwards, like I said, I'm planning on shipping all of the coins on Saturday. I was able to get most of the custom packaging for them, laser cut, um, I have just a little bit more to do for some of the like the odd ones for like the people who ordered like there's one person that ordered a coin and two coin stands. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, I need to cut an insert for that or um, for people who ordered two coins like I need to cut an insert for that. Um, and then I need to powder coat the coin stands, which I can now do with my nice new um, coating booth. So that should be pretty quick and easy, I would hope. How's your Etsy store been doing? Um, my Etsy store has been slow. My website had... Oh, did we talk about the website? Oh, yeah. Man, that felt like it was a month ago, but it's just been a really long week. Um, so before my website was run by Etsy, it was what's called a, a pattern website. Um, basically, you go to Etsy, you pay them 15 bucks a month, you check a checkbox, and boom, you have a website. And it was super convenient. Like I, it took no maintenance whatsoever. You like, if you wanted to put a new listing up, you just made an Etsy listing and it just magically came over to your website. So it was great from that. And if you sold something through your website, 
it gave you the same um, algorithm boost as selling through Etsy, which is definitely advantageous. But I went into kind of diversify away from Etsy so that all my eggs weren't in one basket. And especially after like fidget things had issues with some of his products getting taken off of Etsy. Uh, that was my key to, to get a second website up. And so I, I set up a, a Shopify. Um, I think I started this like a month ago, but kind of slowly made progress on it. And then last week I made a bunch of progress. And through that website, I've had um, a pretty good number of sales. I think I think my website sales plus Etsy sales are probably about where they were. But now, like, I think I drove a lot of traffic to the Etsy. Like, it wasn't all just organic. And so I think it, it it's about the same number. Um, but Etsy, Etsy has been much slower because I've been splitting that traffic. Um, but the bright side of that is because I have that website that lets me can, you know, control it and it design it myself. I can do things like now I have a Patreon's only shop that is password protected only for Patreons. And I have a, um, a wholesale shop, which again is password protected for people who are interested in buying stuff from me wholesale. And that includes my like white label stuff. Um, so how does someone become a wholesaler? Like what, what is that process? Email. They just send you an email? Yeah, and I'll give them the so, password. So do you not do you not vent them out or anything? Like like uh, do you have like minimum quantities that they have to order to be a wholesaler? Like if you're going to be a wholesaler, you have to order like 25 or 50 or 100 or something. Um yes, my quantities are a little bit bigger on the wholesale side, uh but prices are appropriately cheaper. So Okay. But yeah, if anyone wants to wholesale, just send me an email. I'll show you the password. Like, really, the only reason I have a password there is because um, I don't want people to come to my website and see the wholesale things being cheaper than they are to the general public. But like, yeah, that's just that's how, how whole, things work in reality. Yeah. No, I just I was just curious because it'd be, um, I would look at not just handing out that password, but have like a. Hey, if you want to have access to the pricing, it's a $5, $10 something just to get access. And then from there, you can see the pricing just to weed out anyone who's like, I just want to see if I can, you know, get cheaper pricing once and then go on from there. I don't know. I mean, like you have to send me an email. Like that's a step that they're taking. I will look at that email and be able to tell if they're at least somewhat legit. And if somebody wants to... If somebody wants to buy six tape measures wholesale to save some money on them, you are welcome to buy six tape measures wholesale to buy to save some money on them, even if you're not going to resell them. Like that is perfectly fine with me. Um, That's fair. Or if you want to buy a dozen carabiners, like fine, I'll give you the wholesale price. And like it's. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. um, And really, if you go to that page right now, the only thing on it is tape measures and key rings. Um, but I'll slowly build that out. I had someone request um, key rings wholesale. Um, but I'll, like I said, I'll slowly build that out. I'm going to start offering um, like custom colors on tape measures and custom engravings um, and hopefully start like, you know, like if there's a, like a woodworking YouTuber or, you know, bigger Instagram person, I'll be like, Hey, do you want to sell custom tape measures and your colors with your logo on it? Mm-hmm. Um I think that'll be a, a good deal, but I, I just haven't started pushing wholesale at all yet. Yeah. 
So the infrastructure is there, but I haven't done any of the work. Yeah, no, I think that could be a really good avenue for growing. So I want to, my, my Etsy stuff has fallen off the face. Like, and I think that's just because my quantities got too low Hmm. on some stuff. Um, And part of that was because of the coin thing that we've been trying to figure out. Um, And we basically ran out of coins. Um, And then we got some back in stock and then someone came and wiped me out again. Hmm. (laughs) I just ordered 10. No, you ordered more than 10. Did I? You did. Did I order 20? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's all we have left of the three or fours. I am not sure if I have a hundred coins or ninety nine right now that are are finished. Uh, I need to count, but I may be one coin short and waiting for that one coin to come in that order. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was the last little bit of the three or four coins that we had, okay. and I had just gotten those back in stock, and we just started getting more Etsy sales this week because they started getting back in stock. Um, and I'm switching over to 303 now. So, um, but the good news is it's more expensive because I'm not using cutoff pieces, mm-hmm. um, but it's a lot faster because um, the 303 versus 304. But once I get through this bar, because I bought a 12 foot bar of 303, I'm going to see if I can find a 12 foot bar of, of uh, or actually what I'm probably going to do is I need to find a, I need to just buy like a one foot section of pH 17, mm-hmm. uh, four or 17, four and, uh, see if it gives me what I want. Cause I, kn- I have machined some stainless and I, it was for a customer. They provided their own material and it was stainless. They said it was three or four, but I'm 99% sure it was 17, four. Mm-hmm. Um, and that thing looked like a diamond when it came off the yeah. lathe. And I mean, the, the material was really bright unmachined just factory edge it was just really shiny and then when it machined um it was a little bit harder but it made it the chips broke really nice and it just machined so nice and it was a type of stainless so anyone who listens to this podcast if you know anything about the different grades of stainless and machining <laughs> and you, if this sounds like 17.4 let me know or if you if you know of like, okay, because, okay, here's another question that I had, and, and my local supplier could not answer me on this, because I had this conversation with him. I was like, what type of stainless do you have? He's like, we have 304 and 303. That's it. I was like, okay, when I go on McMaster, I see like three or four different versions of 304. They have like easy to machine. They have like general purpose. They have like easy to weld. I was like, they're all in different categories, and they're all 304. Like, what's the difference for that? Or like 303, they have like easy to machine 303, general to machine 303, like weldable 303 or mm-hmm. whatever. Like they have all these different grades of, of 303 as well, or like hardened and annealed. Um, I was like, do you guys have any of that stuff? And they're like, I don't know. It's just 303 and 304. I was like, ah! <laughs> so like McMaster gives me the biggest variation, but I was literally able to order a 12-foot stick from them out of, out of 303 for less than a six foot stick from McMaster of the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's a lot cheaper to order it for my local suppliers, but they, if they don't have the material that I need, um, I don't know. I'm struggling to figure out what to do. 
on and on that front because I want I want higher quality stainless for my coins. Um, I want to get that perfect finish, but I don't know the most cost effective way to go about it. Yeah, uh, I know. So I don't know very much about three hundred four. I know with three sixteen, um, you can buy what's called three sixteen L, which mm-hmm. oh, I don't remember what the L stands for anymore. I used to, but that is the um, stuff that is better for welding. It's like low carbon or something like that, and so less carbon comes yeah, out of it's it. Three hundred four L and and three and three sixteen L. Yeah. So the the three hundred four L, if that's a thing, is probably the more weldable stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that at least with 17.4, uh, the pH stands for precipitation hardening and, um, you can get it in different tempers. And I think those tempers have an H number kind of like aluminum. If okay. I remember correctly, um, I can never keep them straight, but you can get hard, uh, 17.4 or you can get soft 17.4. And the hard 17.4 is the stuff that machines really well. The yeah, soft stuff and, does better, but not as good as the hard. And I th- I would like to see if I can get 303 in a hard state. Because that's my other theory. Is that because of the 303 I have is, is probably in an annealed state. Yes. It makes it more gummy. And so it's harder to get a, a, a shiny surface out of it. Uh, at least while you're machining it. And so if I can find a 303 hardened. And maybe that's a difference that I need to look into. Then maybe I can get that instead of the seventeen four. Um, I don't know. This this these are just questions that like as I was talking to my local supplier, he's like, I have had no one, no one has ever gone into this kind of detail with me on like stainless. I'm like, well, I need answers. <laughs> yeah. Can you get material certs? Because the the uh, info I from can. the mill should they, say it. They do have material certs, but if I can't specify what I'm getting, I, I don't know if I'm, I mean, the material cert is only going to tell me what what material I have. It's not going to help my supplier get me what I need. I don't think. Um, yeah. Will they not go looking for it for you? Not in the volumes that I'm looking for. Cause they're, they're looking at mm. buying stuff in like a bushel or something. I don't know what they call it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like a big, a big bundle of material yeah. at once. And so that's how they do it. That's what they keep stuff on, on hand that like people in the area get. And if I'm wanting something special, They'll get it for me, but at that point, it's the same price as McMaster or more. Um, yeah. So, like, they have they've they've had some seventeen four in the past, but they didn't have it in that size, and they don't keep very much on hand. Yeah. Um, so. Online metals is a pretty good place to go to if you need some more of the specific stuff because they have like some surprisingly specific stuff. Yeah, I might have to look at them some more. Um, we were just, I just had a conversation with my cousin about that, uh, today. I was like, have we actually ordered from online metals yet? Cause I know I've quoted a whole bunch of stuff from them, but I don't know if I, I can't remember if I, we've actually ordered from them or not. Cause I, I think I've either gone with a local supplier or McMaster, uh, nine times out of 10. Cause it's either something that like I need next day. Um, yeah. or it's like, uh, some special material that I can't get through my local supplier and that even online metals didn't have, or it's like, Oh, I have, a, um, my local supplier has it and it's cheaper than online metals and McMaster. So, yeah, I, I've had good luck with online metals for brass specifically. Like that seems to be something I can't get locally for 
reasonable prices unless maybe I buy a 12 foot bar of it and it's expensive on McMaster, but reasonable on online metals, especially if you have a coupon code, which they always have. Yeah, which I need to find another discount code for online metals. Oh, no, I have ordered from online metals before because I think I, I, yeah, I have. Yeah. So, because I used your code. So, or, not my code. Or, this is or, secret insider information here. Don't share it. It doesn't work it anymore. Gets used. It doesn't work anymore. It didn't the last time I tried to use it. It, you, it worked the, the last time for me. How long ago was that? Uh, weeks. Weeks ago? Yeah. If not less, like. It was whenever I made the brass meeples. Because I, tr- I I remember asking you for it again because I lost it. And I tried it then and it didn't work. I feel like I need to try it now. Figure anyway, it if See, this works, this may be uh, fake news. But there is a code. And I don't remember where I found this. I think someone gave it to me. I don't know whose code it is. I assume this is like a YouTuber or something. Um, but the code is Tupac. The number two PAC, and I've used it for like years on online metals, and it has always worked for me. Um, I'm gonna try it out now. Hopefully, I don't accidentally buy a bar of nickel, which is what I have in my cart. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, two PAC. Yeah, it works. Okay, maybe I just messed it up then. Because I could have swore I tried it and it did, didn't work. Uh, it's like 15, yeah, 15% off of anything. Um, minus, you know, the things that they always exclude. But so online- I, don't know who, I don't know who that code is for. I don't know why it exists, but it has worked for me for years. Tupac. So online... Online metals does work um, for seventeen four, but it's a cold finish. Um, hmm. isn't that what you want? Um, you don't want hot roll. No, maybe that is what I want. I was looking for the not annealed, which I yeah. guess would be a cold finish. Let me see here. What tempers do they have? They only have those two. Okay. Maybe that is what I want. I don't know. Were you looking in round bar? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I haven't looked at round stuff because I don't use round stuff. Okay. Well, I'll have to. Um, I'll have to keep that in mind. I might have to give that a shot. While we're talking about places to buy things, another just public service announcement: American Metals Exchange. Um, that is the place to buy titanium. Like hands down, if there's if you need titanium, get it at American Metals Exchange. There is no other place I found that has been cheaper, and they're like, uh, like a half or a quarter the price of online metals. I think it's like literally just a dude with a shop with like a, a metal shear, and he just buys titanium sheets and then shears them up. Um, they they tend to ship really fast. Like I've had good luck getting their material quickly. Uh, it is generally wildly out of square. <laughs> um, <laughs> like not just like, Oh, I put this in my vice and it doesn't square up against my vice. It's like you pick it up and you're like, that's a trapezoid. <laughs> um, but oh, it's cheap. 
and the guy will work with you and custom share you stuff and yeah speaking of stuff that's wildly out of square mcmaster is usually known for getting you really high quality material uh-huh usually i ordered i ordered some material from mcmaster for a job and it came in 40 thou undersized wow um and then the other piece of material i got it looked like someone cut it out with a by hand with a plasma torch uh-huh and it was um it was one eighth over no 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 it was it was on size all the way up to three sixteenths over on a diagonal over like four inches so like oh. a very short distance because yeah. this was a very small piece it was out over three sixteenths of an inch uh, and it looked like someone had just taken a blowtorch and it like hand cut a line and it looks awful. <laughs> and huh. so we're going to send it back because, I mean, it is just the nastiest looking material I've ever seen. Yeah. And... On the bright side, McMaster is super easy to work with. You could probably just send them a text and be like, I'm unhappy with this. And they'd probably just, you know, give you a refund or let you return it. Like, yeah, we're going to return it. Like um, Weston, I think, called them and they're super chill about all that stuff. Like, yeah. I'm not worried about McMaster. Like I know they have some of the best customer service out there in the industry. Um, but I'm a little surprised with the quality uh, for what it is. Like usually McMaster has really good uh, quality control on the materials mm-hmm. that they send out. Like I've gotten materials from my local suppliers that are like, okay, like I understand you guys buy this stuff in bulk, but like, did you guys even look at this material? Cause yes. it's twisted <laughs> up like a potato chip. Um, like I can't use this, like this might be good for construction, but not for machining. Um, and so like I've, I've dealt with that before. The McMaster stuff is usually, um, especially if I'm ordering like, uh, cause this was some plate material, some three or four plate. And I just ordered a small piece of plate and it's usually like water jet cut or like bandsaw mm-hmm. cut, like really nice. And it's out of plate. So that's usually a lot flatter. Uh, than most stuff, but no, this thing was, it was twisted and it looked like someone cut it out by hand with plasma torch. New so, guy. I I guess I don't know. Um, it looked bad. So, yeah, I should have snapped a photo of it. I don't know if he's shipped it out yet or not, but I'll I'll try to snap a photo. Because like we got some other material that we ordered. And it was like on the same listing, just a different size. And that one has nice bandsaw cut edges. That's really square. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's on size. It's nice. And then this, these other two are just, I don't know what happened. I wonder if they use like a third party vendor. Oh, I know they probably do for a lot of their stuff. Um, But at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have really good luck with McMaster 99.999% of the time. Like there's almost nothing that I get from them that doesn't come in and, and meet or exceed expectations. Yep. So it's just, it's just one of those things where like when a company does so good for so long, whenever they do mess up on something, you're like, what happened? Like, yep. this is not normal. So like my complaining about this is almost, like if this was any other vendor, I'd just be like, "Oh, it's just crappy material from a crappy vendor." Yeah, but, but like, 
for McMaster, it's kind of like, I hold you to a higher standard. <laughs> I pay more, but I know I get better. <laughs> yeah. So. so well, I think we're running out of things to talk about here. Do you want to take us out? Yeah. Um, for those of you who have uh, hanged, held on through our stories, uh, we appreciate it. Please tell all your friends and, We'll catch you all next week. This is Harrison with Precision Ingenuity signing out with AJ from Design the Everything. Bye.